it was a reflection of my own, like, am I good enough? I'm not, maybe I'm not good enough if I can't hear all the details. Maybe I'm not good enough if I am getting um, upset and jealous. Maybe I'm not good enough because I can't be a hundred percent happy. But then, you know, it's just like, oh, I, I'm a, I'm a normal human who has a full spectrum of feelings. I'm happy for you. And I'm also sad for me. I'm excited for you, but I'm also feeling insecure about this. And I think that's a huge, there's a huge piece of work that I do with my clients is integrating these parts and loving all of them too. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 309. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a beautiful conversation with Orit. Orit has been with her husband for about 10 years. They actually had conversations about opening up their marriage early on. However, they were really triggering conversations for, for her. And so they stopped those conversations or paused them and really did some work to each of them and together on healing and understanding what was happening before they officially, more officially opened their relationship many years later. Yeah, I think to just to, to build on what Emma said there, the so much of this conversation actually unpacks a lot of the work that 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 she did and that they did and how they did it and that it wasn't a linear path. And then once they got into it, how were they able to work together on past traumas, transitioning relationships, transitioning their own relationship, even though they stayed in it? Navigating and, NRE. Yeah, NRE came up a lot. New relationship energy. <laughs> That's right. And so this was just a, a, a such a beautiful and powerful conversation. So we're extremely grateful to Arit for coming on and for doing the work she does. So Ori is a board-certified dance movement therapist, and she's going to talk about this later on, but she also weaves in how she used her own, sort of her own modality of work to help herself come to a place where she was able to, to start opening up. And not that that's the goal to get to, but that, that that's where that journey took her. And so just an incredible amount of gratitude to her for, for coming on, for sharing, and for the work all of the information about her work and the incredible couples retreat that she's got going on next year can be found on her website, which is linked in the podcast show notes below or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and you click on the podcast tab. For anyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. And for anyone else, we're going to go through our announcements. First up, the premium subscription. If you're not familiar, it's a way to skip these announcements up front, jump right into the interview, and then, but don't worry, you still get important dates in the outro. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you'll find sign up links there. Those important dates that you would hear about later on. One of them is our upcoming virtual meet and greet. 
Yes, that is October 20th. If you're not familiar with these, we do these monthly. It is a great, low-stakes, easy-peasy way to meet amazing humans from all over the world. We use Zoom. We use Zoom breakout rooms. We ask questions. We put you in small groups. We let you talk about those questions. Then we scramble the rooms. We ask a new question, and we do it again and again and again for about two hours. Yes. And then you leave feeling amazing. You've met a whole bunch of new friends. And then you might even think about joining our virtual community. But before we tell you how to do that, to sign up for the virtual meet and greets, you head over to our website. Again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You click on the events tab and there is a link right there to sign up. And a quick reminder, these are open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. But what is it? You may have said that. I may have missed it. I don't think I did. It was a good repeat repetition. It's an important point. (laughs) Yes. So when I mentioned a minute ago that a lot of the people who come to these virtual meet and greets end up in our virtual community, what does that community look like, Emma? The virtual community is an online community, hence virtual, uh, of almost 300 amazing, incredible people. It's only $5 a month to join. You get access to monthly Q&A calls. We actually just had our, we're recording this a few days before the episode launches. We just had our Q&A calls today and they were amazing. We also have monthly women's group calls, monthly men's group calls, and an ongoing chat. There's chat platform. There's many different channels. There's lots of different topics. There's so much fun and so much support that you can find there. And one other thought, Maybe you're like, well, ugh, I'm tired of all the virtual stuff. Cool. Well, we've got news for you. We're actually going to be having a community retreat, an in-person community retreat in Georgia and Atlanta in the middle of January. So if you want to learn more about that and if you would like to be a part of that, uh, first of all, community members, existing community members, now you know that's happening. (laughs) And (laughs) And those of you who are not community members, You can join the community to learn more and meet all the amazing people who are going to be there before you get there, and then you get to show up and just party on. Mm -hmm. So more information on how to sign up is over on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab, and it is pretty self-explanatory. While you're over there, you can also click on the podcast tab. Our website has some new updates. It's exciting. But while you're on the podcast tab, you can click on the Ask Us Anything. These are new episodes that we are putting out on a monthly basis. It's as the name suggests, please, we want you to send us questions so that we can answer them. And not only will we be answering them, but we have a special guest joining us. Yeah. I'm going to be doing these episodes primarily with Miche, who is a coach and therapist and works with the team at Expansive Connection. Many of you know or have heard or remember Catherine. She works with Catherine and she is absolutely incredible. And so we are super pumped to do these, but we would love your questions. Yes. So like I said, go to the Ask Us Anything tab, read about it, send us a question. We'd love to hear from you. And the last, almost last thing we wanted to remind you about is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. That is the one and only stdcheck.com. It is amazing. This is the service Emma and I use and have been using for years. It is affordable at $129 when you use the links on our website you save $10. That's how you get it down to $129. And it helps support the show financially. But the real reason to use this is it is fast. It is easy. You sign up online. You can have your forms sent straight to any one of the thousands of LabCorp or Quest 
diagnostic labs. You go in, you're literally there for like two minutes. You barely even get to meet your phlebotomist before you're out the door. And you've got a text in 24 to 48 hours telling you your results are ready. You can then share them with everybody that you need to. And then you can have a great time. Mm-hmm. Did you say where they can find it? I may have tuned it out for a second. <laughs> you, you and everybody else. <laughs> So that you can find on our resources tab or in your podcast player show notes down below. And one other thing that we recommend, if you're going to go out and meet a whole bunch of people, it's really important that you dress properly. Yes, this is a quick reminder, especially with the holidays coming up, that we have shirts on our website. They say give love with our logo on them. They are super cool shirts, if we do say so ourselves. You can get shirts tank tops, like t-shirts, tank tops, long sleeve shirts, and sweatshirts. Uh, So go check it out. We'd love for you to try one and uh, see if you like it. What I recommend is a bit of a trifecta. You take a tank top and over that you put a t-shirt and over that you put a sweatshirt. You could even put a long sleeve shirt in there. So it's going to be a (laughs) four-parter. A quadfecta. And yeah, really what it is, is as you're having your um, safer sex conversation, every time you get through one of the steps, you take a layer off. And each time you're just like more shirts, more shirts, more shirts. And then everybody has a good time when you get to the end mm-hmm. or something like that. Something like that. So send us <laughs> send us your uh, opinions about that or <laughs> questions. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, send us an email. Send us a voicemail. We we absolutely love hearing from everybody. Whether you would like to come on the show, whether you want to tell us about how many shirts you're wearing, or if you have just a question for us. And with that, we'll jump into the interview with Orit. Welcome to the podcast, Orit. We are we're super excited to talk. We've we've got all the technical bugs worked out, so it's time to party. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, let's jump in just right with having you introduce yourself and then we'll find we'll find our way to your non-monogamy journey somewhere in there. <laughs> Sounds great. So my name is Orit Krug and I am a board certified dance movement therapist. It's kind of a fancy way of saying that I help people access and heal trauma through their bodies and through movement. And I specifically work with people who have been in a lot of therapy, a lot of different kinds of therapies over the years, and they've come really far in their relationships and they have a lot of insight about what they want to do or how they want to change or how to be a better partner, their words, right? Hmm. And But their bodies just aren't feeling it. They aren't able to follow through with behaviors um, either because they are still stuck in past trauma, still too dysregulated, or their body just doesn't know how, like how to be less guarded or more vulnerable or how to soften. And so I work with individuals and couples, both monogamous and E&M, to help them heal from past trauma and have a much more deeply loving, satisfying connection with their partners. I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. I haven't ever seen any past traumas come up in the non-monogamy space, but I, I'm interested to hear more about that if you've, if you've seen that come up. I haven't either. I think we're good now. <laughs> you've solved it. That's Episode been... done. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've been out there putting out the fires before we ever saw them. No wonder. I love it. Uh, well, love we're definitely going to dive into all of that. <laughs> um, we'd love for you to, I guess, let us know and share where... 
where non-monogamy kind of entered your life. Sure. So I met my husband, Aaron, 10 years ago, and we talked about the possibility of being open as an idea. And it was just kind of spontaneous. And we both were in alignment about someday, someday we could do that. We're open to it. And at the time that I met him, I had actually had so much unresolved trauma myself from my past. And it was something that I was open to, but it was the conversation alone of us being with others or being sexually involved with others was so triggering to me. Like I had already went straight to, does he not want to be with me? Am I not good enough? And it triggered a lot of trauma, just even having that conversation, even though I I knew internally, I was like, this is something I'd want someday. Mm -hmm. And so I basically said to him, I can't talk about this now. Let's maybe talk about it another time. (laughs) Um, I, I, I just made up, I started making up stories that he, maybe he was already cheating. So it just wasn't healthy. And fast forward to about, I would say about three years ago, I started thinking about it again. And over the past 10 years, I've done a lot of healing, a lot of resolving past traumas and, and become a much more securely attached and stable and even more than stable, just thriving person and partner. And I started thinking about being open again. And in my perspective, being open was us being, it was more of a sexual thing. Mm -hmm. That's all we kind of knew about it. I mean, maybe we've heard of being poly, but it just, that wasn't even on our radar. So I started thinking about it for a while and I was like, let me just see if these thoughts stick, if this desire sticks. And then about two years ago, I was like, I am interested in this. I want to explore this with you. And he was on board and we live near New York City, so we we I, <laughs> I once I once I'm ready for something, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna make it happen. <laughs> and so I found a um, an erotic party in New York, and we went a couple weeks later. I would say we were swingers for about a month, maybe if that. <laughs> <laughs> Short stop and, on the journey. <laughs> yeah, that was you know that was our opening, and then. Um, we started exploring separately. I had met someone and I was like, Hey, I'm interested in exploring separately. We made this, um, agreement that you know, when I say it today, I'm like, Ugh, but we didn't really know better at the time. We made this agreement that we could explore separately, but it would just be a sexual thing. And then of course, you know, can't control who we fall in love with. And I, uh, caught feelings for this person. And after a lot of working through, a lot of trauma that came up, which we can totally talk about and denial and the guilt of feeling for someone else. I finally realized about a year ago, I'm poly. Like I actually identify with being poly. I have so much room in my heart to give and receive love. And I really love the idea of being in multiple relationships. I love it. Yes. I love, thanks for, uh, the high overview, I guess, and then we can pick it apart. But that, thank you for like summarizing in that way. I guess before we dive in and ask more, uh, can you describe kind of your relationship constellation at the moment? My relationship constellation, I, I had a 
breakup about six months ago. So I would say most of my focus has been in healing and actually have just very recently felt a shift in healing and growing out of it and being ready for kind of like my next level. My husband and I are still married where we still consider each other primary partners at this point. And he has a partner as well. And I am, I have relationships forming and developing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It's amazing. So, so going back in time, I, again, appreciate the overview. You wound up, well, you, the, the conversation came up early in your partnership. It sounds like had, had either of you had any exposure to that, that, that was the basis for that conversation? Or was that just something like you dreamt up one night at dinner? You're just like, wow, here's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) We both listened to Joe Rogan podcast and Christopher Ryan was a recent guest talking about sex at dawn and, you know, non-monogamy. And so I don't remember who brought it up, but we were both like, yep, that makes sense. (laughs) And so it made sense sort of in a logical way, but once you started talking about it, it sounds like things started coming up for you that were like, yeah, logically, but I can't do that today just in a practical sense. Yeah. Well, when I first started dating Aaron, there were, I had so many insecurities just even being in a relationship with him. Um, I had brought so much of my past trauma and anxious attachment into our relationship that there was no way I could trust. And he, not that he gave me any reason not to trust him, but that was my default after being, you know, after going through my trauma and also being abandoned a lot in adult relationships, we were just not, I was not ready for that at all. Yeah, totally. And I would just maybe, can we talk about trauma for just a second for anybody who's listening? Cause that's come up a few times and I think it's important to maybe talk about what that sort of means. Cause there's, there's some like big T trauma stuff that can happen to you. Right. And that could, again, maybe it's a car accident, something that's like imprinted on you, but there's also a lot of stuff that can happen to us throughout our childhood that we don't even register. And it just sort of builds up in us. And that sort of is, who we, we often end up being some, some culmination of all of those that, that then sort of, I believe, and maybe I just want to make sure like that's sort of the trauma that you're often referring to and not to downplay any maybe major things that have happened. But I just, for, for anybody listening, it's not like if you're listening going, well, I've never had anything traumatic happen. This probably isn't me. I'll be fine. Like, Sure, you may be, and there also may be just stuff that starts coming up for you. This is this is what happened for me too. Is like looking back, I'm like, oh, child was pretty great, and then I start down the therapy route, and I'm like, oh boy, there's some stuff here. <laughs> oh no, there's some stuff to unpack. Yeah, I think that's a, an amazing question. Thank you for asking that and pointing that out because that is a that can be a common misconception. Like, oh, I didn't experience any trauma. Like, I was happy growing up, and all of that. And of course there are the blatant obvious traumas like a car accident or an incident of sexual abuse or more than one incident. But there are also, you know, trauma is anything that makes an imprint on our lives. Um, more scientifically speaking, our nervous systems to the point where our nervous systems and our survival system become 
become hardwired to be in a default overprotective mode, to be hypervigilant all the time of who is going to hurt me or how am I going to get hurt or where is there danger around. And to the point of getting in the way of living a calm, happy, fluid, I don't know, flowing life. So that could be something huge. That could be a huge event. Well, I think it's all, it all feels huge, right? It mm-hmm. could be an obvious event or it could be a little bit of, you know, I've worked with clients who have seven or eight siblings and they just didn't get the amount of attention and care that they really needed. And there was no obvious trauma there, but it's still not to, you know, not to shame or call out their parents, um, but, and I'm sure they were doing their best, but you know, it's still a form of minor neglect when you can't provide the amount of care that your child needs, uh, emotional neglect. Yeah. Um, I've worked with clients too, who they actually have no, they really can't even cognitively identify any traumas, but that can happen a lot because we are pre-verbal for the first two years of our lives. And there's, and that's the those same first two years of our lives are when we form our attachment styles and all that stuff is going on the way that we learn about people, we learn about the world. And so because we are pre-verbal at this time too, it can feel like I don't have any trauma. I don't remember anything. Even I'm going to therapy weekly all the time. I still can't, I still can't put a finger on it. It's because those memories weren't stored in words. Those memories were stored in, um, sensations, how you were touched or not like, I'm not even talking about sexual or, mm-hmm. or any like sexual abuse or anything like that, but just like, you know, sometimes we see little children, like toddlers being grabbed from the floor in a shopping mall or something. So you can remember that force of being grabbed and picked up and, you know, all those little things, the way someone advances towards you, all the movements and the sensations and the experiences in the body that, um, where trauma is remembered anyway, no matter what age we are. Yeah. The body stores all of that. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you for that. Cause I think it's, it sort of informs then again, we don't need to unpack all of your traumas here on the podcast, but just that the stuff was coming up and it sounds like it, it created enough for you to say, Hey, yes, someday, but not today. Yeah. Put the pause on and it. And it sounds like you put that on the shelf for, for seven years or so, which is, Again, not the first time we've heard that where people have brought it up and then they're like, put that in a safe place and we will come back to that later. <laughs> and lock it until we're ready to get the key. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what happens for you to take the box out of the closet and take a peek inside? Yeah. Uh, well, as I mentioned, I had healed a lot. I'd become a lot more secure. And at the same time over the years, naturally, Aaron and I were building a very strong relationship with great communication and trust was built over time, even through other forms uh, or aspects of our relationship where we had issues and we just got better at communicating and trusting each other. And we are big music festival junkies (laughs) 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 or, or, 
try to be, I mean, we have a toddler now, so I can't get out there as much, but, um, it's like, you know, the essence of those events are like community and love and dancing. And it's like, you know, it's like a very sensual experience and people get really close. And those were the times where I started, I started thinking again because we were getting close with, uh, mixed groups of people. And I was just like, well, this person's attractive and like this person's attractive and Ooh, I'm, you know, what if? And so that's kind of how it started for me again. And, and I knew he was open to it. So I was like, Hey, how do you feel about opening that box? Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like you just mentioned you have a toddler too. And I just, I can't like gl- gl- glaze over that because having a child, <laughs> having a child adds a whole nother like stress level and uh, thing to navigate. So I just want to like put in uh you know, share that the picture of your life at this over the last handful of years has been going down this road of non-monogamy and also having a child. So at the same time, the same yeah, time. it all happened at the same exact time. <laughs> I'm sure that was easy. We'll, we'll definitely <laughs> we'll learn more about that. Um, I love it. Well, so you, so at some point you cracked the box and you said, we're going to go to a part an erotic party or a play party. But even that I think is a big, and, and it's funny when we talk to people who've been doing this for a few years and they often like gloss over that as well. They're just like, oh, yeah. And then we went to the swingers and it's like, whoa, whoa, that was probably a big night. Like <laughs> the first time you do something like that is a big deal for at least for most of us. And I'm just curious, like the steps from, hey, these are fun, flirty conversations at a, at a music festival to we're going to be intentional and sign up, pay for and go to an event. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. The whole sign up process was just a no brainer. It was an easy yes for both of us. And then getting there, you know, I have so much more wisdom now, even just over the two years where I can see now that party, you know, in that community, not my vibe. It was a very swinger vibe. And now, you know, I'm more Mm -hmm. into the poly kink community where it's like solo polys and friends. And, but that was very just focused on like sex being a means to an end and find the right couple and all that. But anyway, it was a lot. It was, I would say it was exciting and overwhelming at the same time. These were things that I had fantasized about for a long time, but when we're fantasizing about something, it's usually in the safety and comfort of our own rooms or our own houses. So our bodies and nervous systems feel safe and actually can surrender to that fantasy and our bodies can surrender to that fantasy because it's safe and it's just imagination. But then you go there <laughs> and you're like, what? Someone pick me up. I need to go home. <laughs> That's what it was like for me. I mean, like, it was like that for me in the sense, it was very exciting, but my body was, I, I noticed my body was really tense and I wasn't really able to relax, which is a precursor to becoming aroused and all that. And so I was just like, wow, I just need to, you know, it was a great night and it was such a, an important part of our journey and we had fun Um, but I definitely noticed how, yeah, that was a big shift. That's huge. I mean, that just recognizing all of that in the moment too. And like, if you bring it back to your body as well, which is, I mean, I'm going to be the underlying theme here, (laughs) uh, of course, uh, and I love it, but you know, noticing your comfortability there and how, how it felt and like, not that it, 
it doesn't sound like it was a bad experience in any way. Like it was, it was a fun night, but at the same time, it's like, this doesn't feel quite right for me, like where I'm at. And uh, so you said that you were swingers for about like a month. (laughs) So we went to two parties, I think total and, and uh, had one other swinger esque interaction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of being a parent, it's, it's also really hard for us to both, which is because we also have a lot of other hobbies. It's like, it's hard for us to both Mm -hmm. be involved. It just makes more sense practically to play separately or to date separately. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so how did that transition come? It sounds like you, you said you caught the feelings, the, the, and I know we're kind of making fun of the swinging scene here, but again, we were in that scene for a decade. So we, we know it and we've heard all of the tropes like, yeah, we don't, we don't do feelings, but you, (laughs) you did at one point. And I imagine that was a big shift as well. Yeah. I wasn't even trying to, we weren't even trying to explore separately, but I had gone to a show in New York one night and I went with my, my friend and Aaron stayed home and I met someone. It was just like instant desire and nothing happened because that just wasn't part of our agreement. But I went home and I was like, I met someone and I'm like really interested in exploring. And he was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And, um, I just, we just had such a strong, and we still have such a strong connection that I was like, I just was starting to feel really strongly for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how did that contrast with, again, you were not the same person you were 10 years before, but I think often what we see are the, the swinging, the swinger-esque interactions that you mentioned, those are often a lower hurdle for people to clear because they're, I think what we see is usually the sexual piece. Everybody gets up in arms about like, Oh, I couldn't imagine you watching somebody, your partner have sex. And then once they do it, they're like, okay, the sex was actually pretty easy, but now that they have feelings like that's where it gets scary. And I'm not for everybody, but I'm just curious, like for you to, you were sort of the one who pumped the brakes and then also the one who found the gas pedal again. And also another very common pattern we see, but I'm just curious what that was like for you on the inside being on both of those. Yeah. Well, I think that this particular situation was interesting because I caught feelings, but the, the person wasn't available. He's, he's not Polly. He's not even E&M. Um, he wasn't available for a relationship either. And so not only did I catch feelings, but it's like I was immediately brought back to my teenage years where I was feeling so hard for this person who wasn't, he wasn't interested in having a relationship with me. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not available for a relationship either. Right. Like (laughs) it's it's a physical thing. So it's very confusing. And, um, And so all that stuff that I believed I had healed around attachment and the anxiety around this relationship, I was, it, it really shook my core. I I didn't expect it to come up and I didn't expect to be so impacted by it, but I feel like I regressed to, you know, a teenage girl um, not to make fun of you know, like not to shame mm. anything, but like in me, I'm like, Oh my God, like I really want to hear back from him. And like, he's not texting back fast enough. And, 
all these things. And, um, plus the guilt, I had a dream at one point that me and him were like making out my kitchen and, but it wasn't my kitchen (laughs) in a weird dream way. And then all of a sudden I heard a rumble and it was my house that just like it just blew, it didn't blow up. It crumbled to the ground. There was no more house. And I ran over there and my husband and my son were there and they were fine. They were just like, Hey, like we're fine. And I'm like, wow, I'm, 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 my subconscious is making this to be like this huge disaster where I feel like I'm abandoning my family and destroying everything. And they're like, yo, what's up? We're, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just destroyed our lives, but thanks. Thanks for kissing that guy. (laughs) No, but like he was, but he like Aaron was fine in the dream. He was just chilling. And when I finally told him, because I didn't tell him, I didn't fully admit to him right away that I was having feelings. I think I didn't fully admit to myself right away. He was like, you know, he had some questions, but he's like, Hey, it's, you know, it's okay. You're experiencing NRE. And I was like, what, what's that? You know, and (laughs) (laughs) he he sent me this really good Reddit article and I read all about it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, yeah. Like this is what I'm experiencing. And it's so intense. And in the end, Aaron wasn't threatened at all that I had feelings for someone else. Maybe it would have been different if we were, you know, I was actually getting into a serious relationship with the guy. Um, but he, he was just like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And I support you. I love yeah. that. Wow. And, and NRE for anybody who's not familiar is new relationship energy. And I'm, I'm curious. And can be really intense. Can be. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. This is an interesting place of the, I, again, these are things we, we hear from people often and I'm just, just going to ask, like, did you at this point of catching feelings and you're deep in NRE, even though there's not really a relationship there, um, the, I think we often see where people don't stop and think about, well, my partner might also do this and they might also be feeling these things. We're usually just so absorbed in what, what's going on for us that, that then when it comes up in the other direction, I'm just curious, did that ever cross your mind? Like, this is super intense. Aaron said, go for it. No big deal. Was there ever a thought like, but what happens in reverse or did that come later? Hmm. I don't know if I had that in reverse at the time, but it definitely has come up since then. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I love you saying, cause I think that's what often happens. People are like, yeah, this was great. I was having these great relationships and then they wanted to do it. And it was like, my yeah. mind blew apart. And yeah. 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 You can think you're ready or think you're prepared. And then when it actually happens, it's <laughs> a totally different experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have lots of stories around that that probably won't fit into this episode. <laughs> but <laughs> well, maybe, maybe it is a good point just to take us to the sort of, what was the next sort of evolution in that journey for the two of you? Cause you're, you're now wanting a relationship you can't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So me and Aaron, when we actually decided that we were going to do this, we had this overall intention. Like I had my individual intention, intention, of seeing this as a pathway to even more 
evolution of myself, my growth, my ability to love myself and to be just a healthier, more evolved person in, in myself and in relationships. So when all this was going on, I'm like, this is so hard. It's, it's disrupting my life so much these feelings and this anxiety that I'm having, but I know, I know this is where I need, like, I know I need to work through this, not push it away. I know I need to work through this in order to, you know, take that path and be even better. And, um, and our combined or collaborative intention was that it would bring us closer. This journey, this journey would make us stronger and bring us closer And so I think I had that faith and trust in the process where I did, I took about, I think maybe I took about eight months of not really seeking anything at all and not dating at all. Cause I was like, I need to, I need to heal this. I was just so surprised and I have an online following and everything. And, um, I was like, Oh, I've like really healed, you know, really healed from my past trauma. And I really believed it because I had such a healthy relationship with Aaron and I felt so secure. And if I had never opened up my relationship, I would never know that I had this unresolved trauma because, you know, when you're with one secure person for the rest of your life, you don't really have to, you don't really have to confront these things unless. Yeah. Flex those muscles. Exactly. So I knew that intuitively that I had to go um, back to therapy and work through this. And at the same time, nothing was really going on for Aaron either. And he was focused on other things And that's when I said, I finally, once I finally just felt a shift back in November, like about a year ago. And I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready again. And I'm Polly. I'm ready for this. So that was my next kind of step. It was like, I do have, or I did, I do have feelings for this guy. And I do want to have another part. Like, I do really love that. I love that. And I want to embrace it. And me embracing that part of my identity made Aaron embrace it part, part of his. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm Polly too. I'd really like this so much more than just like a meaningless hookup here and there or whatever, you know, not his exact words. So it was kind of this intentional acknowledge shift that we were going to have feelings for others. And we were going to embark on this poly journey and date other people. And even it was, we hadn't been on any apps and we started getting on apps too. Mm-hmm. And so that was just November of last year. So mm-hmm. yeah. So about a year ago, that's like, that's fairly new at the end of the day. <laughs> well, I think too, what's really interesting about it is it was two swinger parties and then like roughly, it sounds like an, uh, an eight month gap of, let's figure out what's going on here. Let's like, mm-hmm. it was the, I got the feelings. Holy shit. This is scary. Let's figure out how to be a little less scary. And then just kind of seemingly woke up one day, like, okay, here we are Polly today. And now we're going to figure out how to do this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, at the same time, I had actually taken space from that guy. Cause I was like, it's just causing me too much anxiety And after several months of not speaking, he reached out to me like the same week that I was ready (laughs) and was like, Hey, you know, like what happened and wanted to get some closure. And, um, I knew that my work was, I probably have always known this, but my work was to really be able to love without the unhealthy attachments and, 
um, needing to control things because of my fear of abandonment or a fear of rejection. And it's almost like, it's almost like he came back into my life so we could have a second chance, which we do. We're like, we kind of establish we're at the second stage of, of our relationship like there's no like relationship structure necessarily, but, um, we're doing things so differently right now. And it's, it's incredible. It's extremely expansive and evolutionary to be in this connection with, without, without conditions, like really loving each other unconditionally. And at the same time I had started dating someone new about around the same time too. And that was just to be clear that the person you're talking about just now was your, the person that you had caught feelings for originally. Yes. Right. Yes. So there was, that's why there was the initial connection, then a break from talking and then start like phase two of your re- connection yeah. relationship. And around that same time, you said you started dating someone else. So really you had your, uh, Aaron, and then this person that you had had a previous connection with the year before, and then a new person. Is that correct? Yes, that okay. is correct. And at this point, so you're you're kind of doing the full-on polyamory. I imagine Aaron's out there looking as well. How are how do things go at that point? Like this is, I mean, to me, this is this is a level above. We're going to go to the sex club. This is like. <laughs> These are these are relationships. These are other people. I mean, not that they weren't other people at the sex club, but there's a whole different paradigm that you're you're yeah. in. Um, yeah, Aaron wasn't getting too much luck on the apps. We live in the outskirts of New York City, like 40 minutes away. So it's like if we lived in New York, it would probably be easier, but it just mm-hmm. yeah, he wasn't really finding he wasn't really ma- matching with anyone uh, who was aligned or really rarely matching with many people here. So it was like a lot was going on for me. And, uh, there was some guilt about that. And like, Oh, I, I wish there was something going on for him too. And I, I, I really view my journey and people's journeys as kind of levels like this, you know, this particular relationship or situation stirred up this trauma. Then you get the opportunity to heal it. And you evolve further to like to then get into a relationship with someone else who may trigger something else in you that you then get to work through that. And it's like, it just goes deeper and deeper. And so I met this new guy in December and I just fell so deeply in love. Like that, that was NRE for sure. (laughs) Um, And we were both experiencing it and we were both poly and it was like, an experience of falling and like really truly falling fast in love for the first time because, because of my old trauma, I'd always been very protective, overprotective of my heart and guarded. And so even when I met Aaron, it was just a very, I was very guarded and I only opened up very, very slowly, but because I've done so much healing and my heart is just open, I experienced falling in love in a new way. And we, um, kind of the short story is like, it happened so fast and so intensely and it ended kind of just as fast and intensely (laughs) Yes, you're nodding your head. Like, I I know, I know, right. Like so many of us have had that experience too. Um, so then I was like, okay, that this is like the most painful heartbreak of my life. And I kind of 
you know, I took lessons along the healing process along the way, but, um, I was like, what is this trying to show me now? Like, what is this trying to teach me? Um, a lot of it was like creating space for me to grieve, really grieve, not just that relationship, but grieving, grieving my monogamous relationship with, with Aaron, because he actually is now dating my ex's girlfriend. <laughs> like, which makes it a, that's super easy. <laughs> yeah. Literally. I'm like, I mean, today at this point of like, I was like, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. Like, not only was I going through intense heartbreak, but I was at the same time, Aaron was dating his girlfriend, the, the, you know, uh, my ex's girlfriend. And so it was like, my old pattern was just, just to be like, you know, take space and, and disconnect from this person who, who, um, you're not with anymore, but there was this connection always happening, right? Like not even, not directly, but indirectly. And, you know, this was supposed to be my story and it was supposed to be our love story. And now it's his. And, uh, there was just so much that yeah, I was grieving that. Um, but ultimately I was grieving the part of me that had just always been overprotective of her heart. And, um, there was just so much more to heal from that, mm-hmm. like learn from that relationship. Well, that you had taken the chance of like going, falling hard and falling fast in that new relationship and like opening your heart and then having what happened, like having it end as intensely as it started, you know, that I makes sense that there's a lot of grief there. Uh, you know, you opened up and were vulnerable and, and then look what happened. And it's like, but what did like, as you're talking about, like the the beautiful things and the learning experiences and the like growth from that too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, at first when that kind of thing happens, you're like, I mean, that, that's exactly what I had said. I was like, I opened my heart and I, I took a chance on this. And like, I was really in that point in my life where I'm like, I'm leading with love. I'm leading with love. I'm not leading with fear. And I'm like, and look what happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of, you know, that was me being so feeling so hurt. And today I'm like, wow, look what happened. Mm -hmm. I love myself even more. My heart is even more open and expansive now. You know, that relationship, you said something earlier in the podcast about, um, I don't remember exact words, but it reminded me of how I had, I realized that until now I've been saying I'm E&M or poly but I had still had such a strong monogamous mindset and conditioning so that when I fell for the, that first guy I talked about, it was like all about him, all about him, um, in my mind, I guess. And not as intense as the second person, but it's like, you know, we say in, in the polysphere that when you love someone, it, when you love another person, it doesn't take away your love from the other people. Right. It's like, ideally the love that I have for a new partner wouldn't take away any love from my long-term partner. And it, it didn't like, I didn't love Aaron any less, but I just was more like very more hyper-focused on each of these new partners. And when I was dating the guy in December, I, I neglected Aaron in my NRE. I really did. And Um, I'm trying to think about why I brought this up. Oh, because yeah, it was like, 
I was, I was still acting very monogamously in these new relationships. And that was a big realization that I had recently is like, I said my heart was open and that I could have love for multiple partners, but I really couldn't, I just wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll I'll stop there. (laughs) No, I, it makes, it makes so much sense. And I think what is really interesting about it for me is the, to me, the puzzle is how do I fully experience NRE? Because that's, that's an experience in and of itself to be able to go through that. And you said like it burned hot and fast and it went out just as fast and hot as it came in. But that is like, there's an experience there that you then get to carry for the rest of your life that you, you went through that. And, and I think it's, how do you have those experiences without, or while maybe balancing the rest of your life. And that's, I think it could be a partnership, but it could also be like, shit, I didn't do any work today because I was texting on my phone all day long. And then you're like, the <laughs> next day you're like, yeah, then you're like, hey, person, today is going to be the pendulum goes the other way because I really screwed myself <laughs> over yesterday. And you, so you're just constantly like bouncing between the bumpers down the bowling alley, like trying to get the, the ball to go straight. And it just, I think it rarely ever will. And there's just, there is a lot of fun and beauty at the bumpers, like Mm. going crazy for a day and then being like, whoopsies got to, I got to go uncrazy for a day to like cancel that out. But how do you, how do you level out the highs and lows, but don't lose the excitement of the experience? That's a great question. I'm going to bring it back to the body. Of course (laughs) I, you know, I know, something that I've discovered recently about myself. So I was actually making a movement meditation on NRE and I had this mind blowing realization, making my own content, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, for me, it's like the, well, first of all, the the science, the neuroscience of NRE is that our, our dopamine increases that feel good neurotransmitter that we get when we have sex or we achieve something or we eat really good food. And it's like our, our brains and bodies are like more, 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 more. And at the same time, what's happening is our serotonin is decreasing and which is another feel good chemical that makes us feel like it's enough. And so our bodies and brains are like more, 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 and this is also not enough. And, um, the feelings that come up through that in our bodies, it's just like, for me, it's like this all, all like full body buzz and excitement, which is just, there's a fine line between feeling excited and overwhelmed and excitement and anxiety are two sides of the same coin, right? When we feel it's the same physiological response in our nervous system is that stimulation, but the, the perspective is different when we're excited. It's like, yes, I can't wait. I'm so happy. Right. But when it's anxious, when we're anxious, it's like, this is not good or something bad's going to happen. But in our bodies, it's the same. Our heart's racing faster. Our temperature is higher. And so I, that's kind of like the flip. Uh, I think you said, said like bouncing around mm-hmm. or highs and lows. Right. But that's like the jumping over the line from like, this feels really good to this feels really overwhelming and stressful. And so it feels like my body has to do something about it. But if we can find a way to actually be with those sensations and let them flow through us and learn what our body needs, whether it's 
some kinds of, of movements intuitively in the moment that works for you or um, something more practical of like going for a walk or something, I think it can allow us to really be with the NRE more mm-hmm. and embrace it instead of it feeling like have to do something about it, like have to do something about it, even down to, I have to text my partner and tell them how much I love them for the fourth time today. <laughs> right. Cause that's a little overwhelming, you know, maybe it's cute at first, but I don't know. It could be a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> it can be a lot. My, yeah, my realization that I had while recording that meditation is, so I am historically an anxious attachment type and typically when you're anxiously attached, you need to, you you have this tendency and this need to cling. And I think we always talk about that, um, clinging onto a person, but I had realized I, I felt the need with this, my most recent ex to cling on to my feelings because it was so exciting and it was so exhilarating, but in any relationship feelings naturally ebb and flow. So when the ebbs happen, I'm like, Oh no, I need to feel just as strongly or else maybe this is going to end or it's not going to be as good. And so I'd, you know, I'd just, I wouldn't, didn't do anything weird, but I just would try to control it or try to like up the ante. I don't know, like up the feelings a little bit, just so I get that redose of dopamine in a sense. And that disrupts the natural flow of a relationship. Yeah. The idea, I think, right. Like, well, bungee jumping was fun, but let's go up in a plane. And then, well, the plane was fun, but now we can go up in a hot air balloon and go four times high. Like you're always trying to increase the stakes to get that, that feeling versus finding a way to enjoy what it is that's happening in front of you. It's, it's hard. It's hard. At least for me, it's hard. It is very hard. (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy of like, these feelings are too intense. I want to regulate them. And also these feelings are not intense enough. I want to increase them. And so of course our bodies are going to be like in inner turmoil and conflict if, if we don't really know how to navigate that. Yeah. 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 I wanted to thank you for all of that, sharing all of that. Um, I wanted to touch on, you know, you made the comment of and shared that your husband, Aaron has now has a relationship or ha- has had a relationship with your ex's girlfriend. And I just, I can't just like gloss over that either. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a big, obviously there's a lot there that we could dive into, but I'm curious for you, um, for anyone that is listening and hears that and is like, Oh my gosh, that's that. How do I, how do you ever navigate that? And I guess what has your journey been in you grieving your relationship, but also at the same time being supportive of your husband having that partnership? Hmm. That's a great question. I think a lot of it has been like, can I support him and how can I support him? And in the same time supporting me, and there's been so much trial and error. You know, when Aaron and I started Polly, we told each other a lot of things about what was going on in our relationships and as I was saying before, more stuff has gone. Like I've had more things happening and percolating, but you know, he finally, the, the weekend that my ex and I broke up was the same weekend that they met. And oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, like they were talking, they were talking virtually for maybe like a month before that, but they, yeah. And they're really, you know, theirs has 
took off. And so it's like, wow, I'm so heartbroken, but I'm happy for you too. And tell me all about it. And then, you know, I just come to realize that I can't hear all about it anymore. I, you know, I, I can support you and I'm interested in your happiness and your pleasure and this developing relationship and how it creates more growth for you and all of that. But I can't hear the details right now. And I literally only came to that conclusion maybe two weeks ago. (laughs) Um, yeah. Like we even had for his birthday, the three of us spent a lot of time together and it was great in the moment. I think I have enough tools and regulation and just, love for life and people that I really was able to enjoy a lot of it. But at the end, after that, I'm like, this, this is a boundary that I think I'm crossing to try to make Aaron happy. And it's, it's getting in the way of fully moving on and getting closure from the last relationship. And I just have also such a great community of, of people who Um, I recently joined this community and I shared with them the situation. They're like, wow, that is a lot to navigate. And it's totally okay if you don't want to hear any details and you can still be supportive. Like this, this is a long distance relationship. So he'll go away for several days and I'm, you know, I'm at home with the kid and holding down the fort here. And like, that's supportive enough. Right. (laughs) And I just it was a reflection of my own, like, am I good enough? I'm not, maybe I'm not good enough if I can't hear all the details. Maybe I'm not good enough if I am getting, um, upset and jealous. Maybe I'm not good enough because I can't be a hundred percent happy. But then, you know, it's just like, oh, I, I'm a, I'm a normal human who has a full spectrum of feelings. I'm happy for you. And I'm also sad for me. I'm excited for you, but I'm also feeling insecure about this. And I think that's a huge, there's a huge piece of work that I do with my clients is integrating these parts and loving all of them too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and learning how to hold both of those, that both of those feelings are equally valid. Like they're right. valid to feel both those ways. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love too that you said that, Ari, about just that you don't have to be right. This is one of those that we hear come out of the probably let's come out of the depths of Reddit, right? Like if you're not if you're not infinitely happy for your partner all the time, no matter what they do, then you're doing polyamory wrong, right? You're bad at polyamory because you're supposed to just feel compersion. All the time. Yep. Yep. It's and, very black and white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is not reality. And what you're doing, right? First of all, there's no script for what we're doing here in in the non-monogamous sphere a lot of the time. But to say that the weekend you're ending your super intense partnership, your husband is going to launch into NRE with that partner's partner. So there you go. Go navigate that now for the next however long. And like, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and be happy every day. Right. Just be happy right, for right. them. And they're going to tell you all the details. Like what what world is that, that, that that's the expectation? But somewhere that that's what, that is what sort of came out is we should be. We should be happy no matter what. And that's, 
that's a hard should for me to get on board with. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of it came from my, from me. And I think some of it was kind of unintentionally communicated by Aaron. Not that you should be happy for me. It wasn't like that at Mm -hmm. all. Um, he was, he's been supportive of me through everything, but I just, I felt like through some of it, like even after we had the three of us had spent time together, I, I would say I didn't do this in the healthiest way, but I expressed some things that I was upset about and I brought it up at a bad time and he was stressed and like, he just didn't re he didn't respond in the most supportive way. And I don't think that was the first time. And it's like, well, well, when I express happiness for you, it's always a great response. But when I express maybe something that I'm disappointed, like there's some defensiveness. And so that, that communicates to me, um, when I already have this own story in my own head that it's not okay. And we've worked through that and so much more, like so much of where his own trauma was coming up through that, that like, there's another reason why all this is happening. It's just me and him goes back to our intention have become so much closer and more understanding of each other. And if we can get through this, we can get through anything kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, it's, I'm almost stating the obvious, but you, you just touched on the big, one of the other big pieces of this puzzle is you're, you have this whole range of emotions and traumas and all the stuff that you're unpacking simultaneously you're doing that with at least one other person who is unpacking and healing and figuring all that out for themselves probably at a different pace than you probably in a different way than you and now you're trying to push those puzzle pieces together and that's a hard that's a hard puzzle to do yeah i think there's you know there's so much coming up for him too all this new territory and you know, this it's hearing him talk about that and what's challenging for him is just, you know, you only get closer with those kinds of vulnerable sharing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I would just would offer, we had a similar conversation maybe a week or so ago where it was around this defensiveness of, uh, it was Emma expressing like, Hey, something is a cha- is challenging for me and me being like, it's really hard for me that you're not happier. Right. And it's, and at the same time, it's not, you should be happier and I'm mad at you for not being happier. It's just, it's hard for me. And then it's like, well, now I, you feeling like I'm being defensive and and I probably was feeling a lot of, it was a lot of what I'm doing must be wrong if you're not happy for me. And then there was that yes. whole battle of, I think well, that's so common. Yeah. If you were, if, if I were doing it right, you would be happier. So if you're not happy, I must be doing it wrong. And now it's about me instead of about her and what she's working on. And like, we, we still play this game all the time. (laughs) Wow. I'm so happy you just said that. I mean, I'm sorry that it happened, but (laughs) that's exactly the defensiveness that comes up for Aaron. It's like the right or wrong thing when it's just like, that's not, and then it becomes about him. Right. Um, and it's like, that's, well, that's not what it's about. It's just, can you make a space for me to express my feelings? You don't even have to do anything about it. Just support. And 
through that, like if I had just, if I'm just met and seen on that first, like the first thing that I'm sharing or what I'm expressing, I think we can easily get to a point where you realize you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. These are just my normal feelings and it's my story. And, um, it's induced by maybe something that's going on for you or with you, but when it gets back to what you just what you said a few minutes ago of like holding the duality of both of those feelings mm-hmm. and being able to express both of them and being heard in that. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. These, these conversations are really hard to navigate and all of it is difficult. Yeah. But well, and two, I think there's the there's the piece where I say, well, I also want to be heard for what's hard for me. And then I have to go. Not right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's do that conversation later after you've felt heard. And I have to not put mine away forever, but I have to put them away for a little while. And not always good at that either. <laughs> as, as Emma laughs. <laughs> and all each of us want to do is be heard, right? We just want yeah. to be heard and seen, yeah. loved, and we'll get our chance. Like if we're with a supportive person, we'll get the chance to do that for each other. Yeah. Well, and it takes practice. It takes practice to work on those uh, reactions in the moment because it's, especially if you have conditioning for a long time of like feeling the need to react and this gets back to past and all of the trauma and all of like things that have happened in your life, uh, both as a child, but also as an adult that to lead to those patterns, leads to those cycles. And it takes practice to break those reaction and intention slowing down um, and listening yes. to well, your body and taking care of yourself in, in that all as well. It takes a lot of practice. So I think that's, I mean, as Finn mentioned, like that's something we're learning and practicing and, and along the way with everyone else. Yeah. And it does come back to trauma, right? Because that's, it, that's what I was saying before. Like trauma is something that is, it, it creates dysfunction in your nervous system. So even when you're having those fight, flight, freeze, shutdown, or fawn responses, they're instantaneous. We can't control them in the moment if you're having those fear survival reactions. Like the, the clients that I work with, as much as they know in, insightfully, cognitively, I don't want to respond like this. I want to respond in this way instead, or I want to do this differently. The nervous system that is still being hijacked by past trauma hijacks our body's behaviors. So it makes it a constant cycle of, oh, I, I yelled again, or I got defensive again. And you're, you know, regretting that. Cause I know better, you know, in my mind, I know better, but it's the part of the mind. It's the part of the brain that actually goes offline during those triggered moments. So it's just kind of like, unless you really heal that past trauma and, have your and and regulate your nervous system and open that window of tolerance, which is that calm, cool, regulated place in our our nervous systems, so that we can we can feel these we can almost feel these re- reactions bubbling up in our bodies, but we have command over how we want our bodies to respond. Like I'm feeling this heated energy running through my arms, and I just and like through my throat and my mouth, and I just want to yell, but. Um, it's fear. It's fear moving through you. And if I understand how to move that fear through my body and, and respond a different way, it just looks so different. looks like such a different relationship. Um, you know, each person looks so different too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And 
maybe the, I'm just noting the time and wanting to be respectful of your time as well. Uh, maybe that's a good transition into a little bit more of your work and uh, things that you want to get out in the world and share. Yeah, sure. Something I'm really excited about is that I'm doing a poly couples retreat in Costa Rica in April of 2024, and it's going to be somatic based trauma therapy. So it's for poly couples who um, they've been working on their stuff and they've been even supported in therapy, but it's kind of what I was talking about before is like your mind understands what you want to do differently, but you just keep running into the same issues and the same patterns just keep happening because of these reactive situations and the body just can't get on board with what the mind wants. And so it's coming from that approach. Um, it's an all-inclusive, very intimate experience there. Um, and we'll be doing more of that emotional based work, um, in couples therapy, somatic therapy, and also that will be during the day. And then later at night, it'll be more of like, and more of an erotic kinky based somatic work, um, to help people with just kind of like both of those aspects of relationship, right. Supporting each other and communicating and, um, just being stronger on the same team, even through the issues that come up in this journey and also, um, the sexual aspect and evolving sexually together and also apart as well. I love it. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And if, and if you, people would like to go look at the picture, like I've looked at this website like four times over the last couple of weeks. Cause uh, yeah, it looks, it looks amazing. It looks amazing. So links are in the podcast player show notes to learn more about that and to find or each website and, and all of the work. What is, uh, could you talk a little bit more about your, maybe like a little bit about your training and background? And then what is like, if people can't go to the Costa Rica retreat, what, what does that work? look like? Yeah. So I have a board certification in dance movement therapy. I have a master's degree in, um, in uh, dance movement psychotherapy. And after thousands and thousands of supervised hours, a licensed creative arts therapist as well. So yeah, like, like fully credentialed and, um, I've been doing this for over 13 years. I did a lot of work in psychiatric hospitals and schools and more of public mental health. But for the past five years, I've been doing this work um, on my own, just like working for myself. And I have virtual offerings available for um, poly couples who want to do something, you know, the, the work of, you know, I think it's just really common again to be like, we're stuck in the same patterns and we're, we're in therapy and we're even working with a polytherapist, you know, it just still things aren't shifting. That's where I come in and I help mm-hmm. people like working through the body and through movement. It makes such efficient, powerful shifts because as I was saying before, and re- trauma research shows this, the part of our brain where we, which we use to talk in therapy and to talk to each other, it goes offline when we're triggered. So there's just only so much we can do with talking and the rest trauma store in the body and, um, and we, the, the, the body and movement is the vehicle for which we interact with, with our world and with each other. And, um, it's not really something a lot of people 
I, I feel like it's not common knowledge yet, but of course to change behaviors, we need to change the way we interact and move and gesture and yeah, with our bodies and with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, just to note, you do have virtual option or options, which mean that you can do this type of work virtually. And I just yes. wanted to comment on that because people might hear like, you know, dance movement and that wanting to make sure that's in person, which I'm sure is great, but there is a, there is a virtual option too. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah. I've been doing the virtual, uh, virtual work for five years since I started my business and it's very effective even over the screen. Awesome. Well, links to everything you mentioned will be in the show notes so people can easily find, find you. Sounds good. Thank you. Do you, do you have an extra minute or two? Well, it might be five for you to answer <laughs> another question. Yeah. Okay. Yep. This one, I know this is sort of a big, a big one. So it is, you, you kind of mentioned a few times where you said like that, that seven years you went and did a lot of healing and even the eight months uh, between the parties and polyamory, you did a lot of healing and work. And I'm curious to whatever level you're comfortable and whatever level you're able to share, what, what did some of that look like? Because I think it's easy for people to hear that. And the way you said it very casually is like, oh yeah, I just went off, did a little bit of work, no problem. And here I am seven years later, time to party. And I think that black box is there's a lot in there and I know that's probably a whole hour podcast by itself, but I'm just curious if, like a little bit of what that looked like for you. Mm, yeah. I'm not sure how to answer that briefly, but I, right. after <laughs> I graduated from my dance movement therapy program, I, I had been in therapy kind of just regular talk therapy for several years and this was my experience. I was just repeating the same patterns, the same sabotaging patterns with Aaron when we were first started dating. And I was like, I, we, he broke up with me shortly. And I was like, I have to, this is the first relationship that I have that is actually really healthy. And I really, is just good for me. And I'm just sabotaging and I really need to do something different. And so I, enrolled in a dance movement therapy program myself, like as a client to be in that therapy. And there's just so much that was being stored in my body for my past. Um, the gardenness that I spoke of and one in one of my sessions, like as a client, we were moving with our eyes closed. This was in a group and it was kind of pretty open. It's kind of a flow of consciousness, like whatever, you know, close your eyes and allow an, an impulse inside of you to start moving you. And it could be anything and just keep going with that stream of consciousness. And because this is in a group of people, you could be on your own, but you could also move closer to people. You could move away, you could interact. And so whatever led me, <clears throat> whatever led me in this, this one session, I was so close physically with this one other group member and it was just so intimate the way we were, you know, it was just kind of like when I say intimate, I just mean emotionally and physically. Um, and in these kinds of sessions, it's not really about the person you're interacting with directly, but it's like, who does this person represent mm -hmm. uh, in your life? And we were just 
moving so intimately together. I was shaking and crying. It was this full body fear response. I was like, wow, I'm so scared of intimacy. I'm, I'm really scared. And I had lots of those kinds of interactions in that therapy where we'd move closer. And, I, and all I could think about is like, when are they going to leave? When are they going to leave? When are they going to leave? And like move away. And all of those things that just came up in movement interaction revealed to me all these ways that I was really so scared of relationships. And once I realized all that awareness, which is the process that I take my clients through, like what is, what is the movement revealing? Like the way that you're moving with your partner in session when I do couples work, what is that revealing? And then we get to work through it. And so then I'd start playing with intentionally moving closer to people and intentionally playing with that closeness and building more and more of a, my expanding my window of tolerance around it, being able to regulate better through that. Um, and when you do that in a safe space of a session, um, it's, and you're doing that in your body, it kind of just, it integrates, it's already in your body. So I was able to take that out and just be more open and vulnerable and intimate with, with my partner outside of the sessions. And this was over the course of a couple of years. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, it's that you walked that journey and, and, you know, your, as is often the case, you know, your uh, educational experience in, in this field that you were interested in and going down that road and then recognizing where it brings up your own work and uh, then diving into that. And it's just, um, I think it helps what you just explained helps people put, I guess, a image to what some of the actual work was and, and acknowledging that that's just a snapshot. Um, yes, but definitely. Well, and two, right. That was, that was your, your path, right? Maybe you're somebody who maybe what you need or where you're at, it is talking. Maybe it is some, something else. And I just, what I was hopeful there was that people at least understood that it wasn't just, you had just closed your eyes and snapped your fingers and you woke up and everything was good. Like there was, there was a huge journey over that time period. Absolutely. Yeah. No quick fix for this. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. And I appreciate all of your sharing and vulnerability today. Right? It was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And I hope I, I would imagine this won't be the last time we talk. And but until then, is there anything that we haven't asked about that you want to get out there into the world before we let you go today? Um, I don't know. I I think if you're you know if you're have if you're struggling on this journey and there's jealousy or insecurity or heartbreak or whatever coming up that is challenging you, I like to encourage you to see it as an opportunity for growth as hard as it feels in the moment, as much as it feels like you won't be able to get through it. You will, whether you, um, you know, it's time or it's professional support or all the above. When you come out on the other side, it's incredible. It's like, (laughs) I, I was so excited to do this podcast today because I'm just like, vibing high right now. (laughs) Uh, You know, I told you I just like had a shift in all this stuff I've been going through. And it's like, I, I'm like, I'm so proud of myself. I love myself so much more and it's worth 
all the challenges. I love it. Yes. Yes. I love it too. And I'm so glad you were excited about today. I know we were excited. So uh, as Finn said, this likely, very likely won't be the last time our paths cross and just thank you for everything today. And we're excited for next time. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. And we're back. A huge, huge thank you to Orit for everything that you shared. We absolutely loved this conversation and I'm so grateful, are so grateful for everything, everything that you shared and for the amazing work that you do. A quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the podcast tab, find today's episode, which is episode 309, and go and check out Orit's work. She is a board certified dance movement therapist and doing an amazing hosting an amazing retreat in the spring. So you're going to want to go check it out. I am sad that we can't go. I know. Yes. Damn you, grad school. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. But others can go check it out. I'm taking applications for anybody who (laughs) wants to join me (laughs) in place of Emma. (laughs) You get to pay, but I'll join you. Okay. That's not really a thing, but it'd be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing. All right. Next up, we wanted to remind you all, there is a virtual meet and greet coming up on October 20th. We would love to see you all there. There's not much more to say about that. You can learn more on our website under the events tab. You can find out more about joining our virtual community under the community tab. You can get t-shirts under the, well, it's not under the t-shirt tab. It's on, on the, the home page. It's right there on the home page. You don't have to go very far. And And send us a question for the Ask Us Anything episodes. That's also under the podcast tab. And next week, we have a wonderful conversation with three amazing humans who are actually part of our community. They are. Anna, Andy, and Jay Mm -hmm. will be here with us next week. And we can't wait. We're super excited about this interview. So come back and listen. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. And I think that's it. And rest of your week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.